You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to continue today and, and bookend this series with a message titled, Fight for Your Community. So if you're taking notes, uh, you can write Fight for Community, or you can go on the app. We have the message notes there with some filling in the blanks for you to follow along. But this message is going to be, uh, 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 the goal for this message is to, is to just help you shift your mindset a little bit from a place of pass- passivity as far as your, your place in, in the community to a place of proactivity because you, you're part of a community uh, and, and that could be your family, but then you're part of a larger community. It could be your professional uh, uh, community and then you're part of this community, um, city or state or county and what you do impacts the community. So by the end of the, the, this message, I hope that you will not only be inspired and blessed, but I hope also that you will understand that you have more influence than you think, that you have more power than you think, and that the quality of your community is directly dependent upon how you fight for community. Now, one of the things that Jesus did in his ministry was to redefine the perimeters of how we value people. He redefined the areas on how we determine the value of each individual. And he started his ministry, his ministry in an era 2,000 years ago where wealth, race, and gender were the dominant markers of a person's value and a person's worth. Now you hear this 2,000 years later and you might think, J.D., nothing, things haven't changed that much. And there's a reason for that. But in Jesus' day, even the religious leaders of the time who had access to the law of God. Now we remember, in those days, people didn't have books. Everything was done in scrolls and written by hand. <coughs> it was written by hand, and they had scribes. And, and, and the scrolls were, with the law of God, they were kept in the synagogue. But not every, every synagogue had the entire library. Some of them had a couple books of the prophets or, or scrolls from, with the prophets. Some of them had the entire Torah. So the access to the written word was limited. How did people learn? People learned orally. People learned by getting together with rabbis, teachers of the law, people who had access to the written word. And they would teach not only what they had learned, but they would teach what they had interpreted and learned from their leaders. So religious leaders had their interpretations and, their, and, and, and requirements also for you to follow them and become their disciples. And you had classes of religious leaders in Jesus' time. Like the Pharisees, that was a class of religious leaders. The Sadducees, that was another class, another party, you might say, of religious leaders. And then there was a governing body like the Sanhedrin. And you had also some who were more liberal when interpreting the scriptures and others who were more conservative when interpreting the scriptures. My point is, the differences between our era and Jesus' era 
The largest differences are technological, scientific, infrastructure, cultural advances. The advance that we've made is in the, in the realm of science and technology and, and industry and all that. But when it comes to how human beings are classified, how human beings rank themselves, the, the way that they structure themselves politically, we're not that far at least in the spheres where people could do that and weren't just obliterated by the empire. So the average person in Jesus' day, which most people were poor, 99% of the people were poor, they had two choices. They either were to fear the empire or they were to participate in this wealth, race, and gender-based value system that many times had been corrupted from the scriptures. And Jesus enters that reality. And based on the same law, based on the same Torah, and with the same spirit that led the people of Israel from the time of Abraham to the time of Samuel when they had no king, from the time of David to the time of the prophets, Jesus preaching from Deuteronomy, preaching from Psalms, preaching from Isaiah, begins to introduce an entire new way to value human beings. And you can read that in the Gospels, but there was one instance that I want to highlight today where he makes it really clear the way that he values people. Jesus was invited by a Pharisee, one of those people in power who were religious leaders, and who by that title alone, by being a Pharisee, that was an important person. That was a person in authority, a leader at the time with disciples and, and people who followed him. And Jesus, if scripture says that Jesus was reclining at the table at this Pharisee's house. At that time, they didn't have chairs. The table uh, was a place where people would meet and eat, but they would recline. They would, they would sit on their side with their feet behind them because their feet were dirty from walking everywhere. And, and, and they would interact in that manner. And this is what happened. Luke writes and, and, and tells us the story. Chapter 7, verses 30, verse 39 through 37 say this. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the ta table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet... Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. <coughs> Sorry. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is... A sinner. <clears throat> Can I have a, my water? Sorry, guys. Got a little something here. Apparently, it didn't hurt just my arm. This religious leader, this man of the cloth, he lived by a principle. And part of his principle is this. Sinners are not welcome. Sinners are simply not Welcome. Luke doesn't give, he doesn't give us the name of this woman, but he describes her as a woman of the city, which means she is known. She's known by the locals, and all the locals know that she is a sinner. 
They know what she does for a living. We don't have specifics, but you can tell that what she does is sinful. Now, you need to know that we have made the word sinner a very casual thing in our culture because we have a strong Christian underpinning in our culture. Even though here in the Northeast we live in a post-Christendom society, there's strong Christian underpinnings. And, and so everybody, even if you're not a Christian and you're not a church person, you have embraced the reality that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We know that. So to us, we, we are comfortable with the word sinner because we understand that we, we're all sinners. <clears throat> you don't have to be a Christian to, to know that. But to be called a sinner by a religious leader in Jesus' day was not a light thing. It was like being called a criminal today. See, if I called you a sinner today, you'd probably be taken back and say, J.D., yo, just, you know, relax a little bit. So are you. So are you. But if you have some self-awareness, right, which you do because you wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning if you didn't have self-awareness. That's why you're here. So. But you wouldn't know. You wouldn't deny if I called you a sinner that you're a sinner. Scripture says, Apostle John wrote that he who says he has no sin is a liar. So even if you say you haven't sinned, Scripture says you're sinning right there because <laughs> you're lying. And that's a pretty bad one. Tell somebody, stop lying. Come on, tell somebody, stop lying. Yeah, stop lying. I never say tell somebody, right? It's new. People are like, are you really asking me to say, yeah, tell somebody, stop lying. Lying is bad. <laughs> Very bad. But what would happen if I came up to you today and I called you a criminal? You'd be like, whoa, whoa, sir. We probably would have words, right? You'd be, you'd be like, JD, why are you calling me that? You have your reasons why you're a good person. You have your reasons why you're a good citizen. You have your reasons. And, and you, would, you would ask me, what would possess me to bring you such a charge? Because to call somebody a criminal today is to charge them with a crime. A criminal means that that person committed a crime. That's because sinner today is understood as a general thing. We understand the word in a general form. It's nonspecific. But a criminal... Criminal always has a crime attached to that person. It means that there's something specific that was harmful either to yourself or to others that you did. And that's what a sinner was in the Bible. Every time you hear the word sinner in the Bible referring to a person that everybody knew that they were sinners, that's the connotation. A sinner was somebody despised by the religious, pe religious people because they indulged in a specific life of sin. It wasn't just anybody. It was someone who practiced their sin openly and willingly. So religious leaders didn't want anything to do with those people. They didn't, didn't want anything to do with them. Now I have to note this because too often preachers, teachers, when you hear messages about religious leaders, we like to put them in a category that seems like they're so absurd with their rules, so absurd with their practice of the scriptures that they're not even in our realm, right? They're super arrogant. They're corrupt. They're completely different from us. Not really. Not generally. Not for the most part. They were very much like people you and I know and interact with every single day. 
Think about this. Who hasn't shunned someone who insists on a behavior that is offensive? How do people react today when someone they know is found to be a criminal? How do people in our society treat other people who think differently than them politically? Have you ever sat in a circle with somebody who is a hundred times wealthier than you are? And were you invited back? It's the question. That yeah, I, I did. I was at my doctor's appointment like last week. <laughs> or maybe the opposite. Have you ever sat with somebody who is who you're like way more educated or wealthier than them? And how's, how did that go? How are we doing? today as a society with judging people for the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Our society is filled with people just like the religious leaders of Jesus' time who think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing the right thing. Now this story is beautiful because it cuts both ways, right? Jesus knew their position. He knew what the Pharisees stood for. He knew how the Pharisees valued people. He knew their judgment toward that woman. Still, Jesus was not down in the city having dinner with the woman. He was at the Pharisees' house in his dining room table, chatting up with him and his buddies. Jesus was with the judgmental one. Jesus was with the person who was the bigot. He was with the person who was judging that woman. He's at the table reclining with the Pharisees. There's so much we can extract from this text. There's so much we can learn from this story. But when it comes to fighting for community, what we learn from Jesus here is one thing. We need to fight against apathy. If you're going to fight for community, we ought to fight against apathy. It's so easy to be apathetic today. It's so easy to not care. See, because the more you get hurt, the more negative experiences you have with other people, the easier it is for you to grow apathetic toward people. Just not care. We live in a world where more and more people relate to each other because of the service or the job that they provide. I don't know if you've thought about it, but probably most people you interact with, you interact with them because of a service or a job they provide, not because of who they are. So they become agents, they become accessories, they become a token, an avatar. They become an image of a stereotype. The clerk, the waiter, the flight attendant, the the, the the teller, the lawyer. And some of you, you have felt like that. Especially if you work in the service industry, if you're a server, if you're a cashier, if you're someone who works in retail. People come with you with questions all the time. They come with you with demands, with questions, and don't ex they don't even expect to know your name. Hey, psst, psst, you, hey. Can you help me with something? We call this attitude acting professional. 
Don't get personal. You're not expected to get personal. You ought to be professional. But have we stopped to think what that actually does to our humanity? To how we interact with people? What does, what does that do to our sense of belonging and, 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 to, and to our part in the world? That doesn't lead us to love one another. That doesn't lead us to care for one another. That leads us toward apathy. And just like the Pharisee who hosted Jesus for dinner, who said, if this man were a prophet, <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman is touching him right now. Here we see that he did what we often do. And he kind of hit two birds with one stone here, right? He devalued Jesus and he devalued the woman because he was only interested in Jesus insofar as Jesus' status, his fame. If he were a prophet, it means like he's not a prophet. I mean, and he couldn't conceive, he couldn't conceive of a different value system for people. So Jesus responds. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Verse 41, the story continues. And Jesus is so wise, he responds with a story, as he often does. A parable. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, had, you, you, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There's so much depth in this story. There's so much to extract. But I want you to notice Jesus' question. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you, do you see her? No, I mean, do you see her? Not the sinner. Do you see her? Not what you have pictured in your mind. Not the stereotype. Not the avatar. Not what the, way, the, the title. Do you see her? Do you, do you see who she is? You see a sinner. Let me tell you what I see. I see someone who's repentant. I see someone who loves well. I see someone who's generous. I see someone who cares. I see someone who's willing to do for me what you were not willing to do. I see someone who cares about others. And you can't see it because you're all caught up in this idea of status. Her sins are many, but they are forgiven. What a story. They ought to flip our, our idea of how we interact with people upside down. And I want to implore you today, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, 
by the mercies of God, fight against apathy with everything you got every single day. Because our world is full of sinners. And our world is full of Pharisees. And we, we are the ones on a mission entrusted by God to bring forgiveness to those who are open and willing to come to the table. We are the ones in charge of telling the world that Jesus is reclining at the table and that they can come to him, that he sees them, that he sees them, not as sinners, not as cashiers or managers or officers, not as Asians or blacks or Hispanics or whites, not as men or women, but as children of Almighty God. Every person, every person you meet is made in the image of God. So let me encourage you to see them, to see them. Not their title, not the way the world sees it, not not what the world says They represent not what your favorite political party says. They represent not what the the daytime television says, those angry people says they represent. But see them like Jesus sees them and invite them to the table. That's our job. It's to invite them to the table and to say Jesus is willing and open and, and he can take away pain and There is a way forward. There is a way forward for you. You don't have to live with this weight. There's a way forward in hope. There's a way forward in forgiveness. There's a way forward, a way forward. And the rest is up to them. It's the first thing we ought to fight for. The second thing is, if we're going to fight for community, we ought to fight against division. I want you to understand the importance of fighting against division. From the beginning of scriptures, there are so many references of division causing all sorts of havoc. The serpent in the garden put division between uh, Eve and Adam and put division between Adam and Eve and God. And from that moment on, from that story, from that poem on, the sources of, of all of our maladies have come. And if you go through the scriptures, you'll notice that it always the, 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 the havoc that's caused always begin with the point of division. Cain and Abel were divided. Isaac and Ishmael were divided. Jacob and Esau were divided. Jacob's sons rose up against their brother J- Joseph. David and Saul were divided. There's always some kind of jealousy, some kind of envy, some kind of thing that separates people. And through division... Destruction comes. In fact, the last passage of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you will find this prophecy by the prophet Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now this Elijah from this passage is the Elijah that the disciples are, were asking Jesus about. It's the same prophet Elijah from 2 Kings. It's the same prophet Elijah from, from the, 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 the stories in, in the Old Testament. But 
when the disciples asked Jesus if John the Baptist was Elijah, this is the figure that they were talking about. Is this, is, this is the Elijah that would, that would mend the hearts of the, the fathers, the generational bridge there. The, he, he, would, he would bridge that gap and, and bring them together. That's the prophetic fig- figure that they were inferring. And Jesus confirmed that John the Baptist was, in fact, the Elijah. And the spirit of Elijah is a spirit of unity between children and their fathers. Now, I spoke practically last week on, on the importance of intergenerational connection. So I'm not going to belabor the point here. But I need you to understand the, 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 the spiritual significance of unity. And the spiritual uh, significance of, of being united between generations. The enemy knows that dividing generations means destruction. And the word, the word destruction here in this passage means that it is devoted to destruction. I mean, it's, it's set apart. It's almost like a law, a spiritual law, that wherever there is division between generations, destruction will follow. It's, it's already a thing. Like, it's, it's not that God is cursing you because of the division. It's that the division will bring destruction. In God's order, generations are supposed to honor and remain united. Like I said, we talked about this last week, practically can go back and listen, but if you think about all the movements and uprisings in the world in recent decades that were followed by destruction, they had this, they had this, this, this core element of division of generations. They were always divisive, always people rising against people. I got to tell you, like, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everybody. We can debate ideas all day long. In fact, as a godly person, if you're, if, you're, if you're aiming to be a godly person, this should be your standard. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person has that value, their inherent value. But not every idea is made in the image of God. We can debate ideas all day long. In fact, we should. We should debate ideas all day long. All the while defending the individual, upholding the sanctity of the individual as a child of God. And the scripture here says, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father. Now you got to understand that the name Elijah means my God is the Lord. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you fight against division? How do you protect unity between generations? You do it in the spirit of Elijah. Which it was, Elijah's ministry was a ministry marked by his boldness and freeing the people of Israel from idolatry, from turning to other gods, from putting other things first. So his ministry was basically to get Israel back at putting God first. That's how we fight against division. You fight against division first and foremost by putting God first in your community. And you do it in this specific order. The first place you put God first is in your heart. You have to start with yourself. Secondly, if you're married, is your marriage or your family. Thirdly, your family, which those go hand in hand, right? Now, no matter if you, you might be the only person who's saved in your family. You might be the only, the only person trying to be godly in your family. Still, you can be that spirit of Elijah in your family, putting God first. Fourth, in your church. Yes. Now, 
It's, it's sometimes we come to church for ourselves, right? We come to church because we want to be blessed and we want God to open the door or, or we are facing something and it's fine. Whatever gets you here, we'll embrace you and bless you in Jesus' name. But you have to know, like, this is about putting God first. That's what we're doing here today. If you come here putting yourself first and kind of wanting God to do stuff for you, it's not really going to work. You, you're not going to grow spiritually. You, you, honestly, you're going to get tired of it. You're going to feel like, I don't know why I'm doing that because it's not working for me. Oh, no, this is, this is not a life that works for you. This is a life that you submit to God and you put him first so that you can work for him. Do we get that? Like, we work for him. Like, we, we, we are, we're here, his ambassadors on the earth. And it's better that way. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our purpose. He knows how he made us. He's given us talents to act and interact in the world. So, yeah, you put your church. You put God first in your church relationship. And fifth, your work and your school. God has to be first there as well. But once you put God first in your heart, in your marriage, in your family, and in your church life, that just flows, man. That's easy. Now, let me, let me make something clear here. Like, Instagram and, and Facebook and, and TikTok, they're not your community, okay? <laughs> they like to say they are. They're not your community. Those are for-profit businesses who are keeping tabs on you. The other day, we were talking about cream cheese, and two hours later, I have a cream cheese ad on my Instagram. We're all used to that now, right? They're listening. <laughs> So just so you know, like they keep me entertained, and I'm I'm there. I'm 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 in for it. But I, you know, you got to be conscious. That's not your community. They're keeping tabs on you so they can can make money on you. So I'm not I'm not knocking social media down. I'm putting them in their place. They're way down the list. Okay, you have your heart toward God, your marriage, your family, your church, your your work, and. Social media. I can't extend my arm more than this. So, <laughs> social media. <laughs> I was speaking things like this today, picking things up like this. I can't extend my arm. Let me encourage you to move in the spirit of Elijah. As you move in the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of God through Jesus will mend the hearts. He will turn the hearts toward one another, and you experience unity and peace. And I got to tell you, I promise you, I've seen this happen. It's not easy. It's sometimes it takes a while, but you will see it happen. I've seen it happen with people who are married, like they're in different places, but one of them starts putting God first and honoring God. And all of a sudden, things begin to change and peace and unity begin to enter that place. Relationship between parents and kids, relationships in, in families, like grown-ups that can't get along with their siblings, and they begin to put God first, and God begins to work in their hearts and show things that they didn't know and bring healing into the process, and man, transformation happens. So fight against division because division destroys. And thirdly, and finally, you fight for community by taking the first step. So you fight against apathy, you fight against division, and you fight for community by taking the first step. Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Thank you. You are, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here is my counsel to you today. Just assume that no one else is going to do it. I know, it sounds hopeless. But it's not hopeless, it's empowering. In every situation, just assume nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to shine their light. Why? Because you are the light of the world. You are the light in that situation. No one else is going to help your neighbor with their groceries. No one else is going to encourage your friend. Don't wait for another friend to do it. No one else is going to ask that cashier at the grocery store how their day is going. Sometimes you don't want to be bothered. Somebody else will ask. No, no, no. We are the light of the world. No one else is going to ask the real questions. No one else is going to help. Just assume no one else will. Maybe they will, but just assume they won't. And I know this is counterintuitive. Like I said, it sounds like, my God, like this would be horrible if no one else did it. But in practice, it's the best, the best attitude you could have. Because that means you are the light of the world. Does that, does that make sense? Like Jesus said, you are the light of the world. To people who thought, certainly other people have way better light than I do. He's telling this to peasants. He's telling this to uneducated people. He's telling this to people who are oppressed by this big empire. And they're saying, you are the light of the world. Sometimes we feel insignificant. Sometimes we feel like we don't have the answer. Like our light is not as bright as somebody else's light. Jesus is saying, yes, it is. You are the light of your world. You are the light of your community. So let your light shine. You let your good works be seen. You let your light shine. You write the book. You start the business. You make the phone call. You go. You build. You apologize first. What a fantastic idea, right? You apologize first. You pick up the phone and you call first. You offer to help. You show up. Just, just show up. Just show up, man. You know why we're still here seven years later as a church? Because people kept showing up. Not just during service, but they keep showing up to put this thing together for you. And these are not people who think that they're the best. These are people who say, I'm willing. I'm going to show up and let my light shine today. Like those awesome gentlemen who are sitting right there. Letting their light shine to people watching. watching. Just let your light shine. I promise you this. It won't take you a month. Before you realize that your purpose is way bigger than you thought. That your reach, your impact in people's lives can be way greater than you think. Because the ripple effect of your presence, of you shining your light in every situation, is going to have an effect that will go beyond your ability to calculate. Being kind to people when you go to a store. Asking about how they're doing. At work, taking an interest in somebody who might be an outcast. Making, making the effort to bless people and, be, and shine your light. That's how 
you can fight for community. So let me encourage you to continue to fight for community. Take an active place and fight against apathy. Fight against division and take the first step. This will happen. You will grow to love your community. If you're in a place where like you're not liking your circle right now, if you put this to practice, I promise you, you begin, you begin to love your community. You're going to begin to love this area, this region. If you don't, I mean, there's a lot to love here, right? But you begin to love the people around you. You begin to thrive. And whether it be your family, your job, this church, when you begin to invest yourself, God will use you in ways you did not expect. And you will be surprised with how God is going to use you in, in such an amazing way. I just want you to promise me one thing. You're going to report back. You're going to tell us all the things that God is doing in your life because we're going to want to know about it because I believe God is going to do miracles through you in this community. Do you receive it this morning?